<laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Yay, Alabama, brown and tough. Dave D'Agostino with a big roll tied with yay, Alabama. It's not even college football season yet for the rest of the world and Alabama fans. It's always college football season, but this is baseball season. This is the Man on Second podcast, uh, part of the rapidly growing Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Joe Frisero with uh, Dave D'Agostino, who dipped in and Got to my heartstrings by playing A Alabama as my intro music today. Uh, as always, our mission to raise the baseball IQs of our audience, and we will do so again today with our special guest, a guy I know a long time, uh, part of a real great baseball family, and a great broadcaster, former coach, executive, Victor Rojas. And Victor's kind enough to join us. But before we bring Victor in, uh, Dave, welcome, my friend. And what announcements we got other than uh, your music taste? Yeah, I had to tap the budget there to rent a band just for a man on second <laughs> podcast. Right, now. That's the extra mile we go for you. I appreciate uh, that. <laughs> but I, I want to just to our sweet, we just eclipsed 16,000 subscribers uh, on Sunday night. So I want to thank our 16,000 subscribers as part of Real Voices of the Game Productions. Uh, obviously, Man on Second podcast is one of our flagship shows, and we appreciate what you do, Joe. But thank you to our subscribers. Make sure you continue to download, listen, like, subscribe. And I've asked you now to start rate and review us. We've got to beat the analytics of podcasting. It's in baseball, but it's also in podcasting too. So we're going to attack those analytics by rating and reviewing. We can continue to pro provide you great content like we're going to do today with Victor Rojas. Uh, Make sure you're on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. If you have a different streaming advice, let me know. I'll subscribe to that. Hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. I engage everybody on all of those, and we do answer one question of the day. Today was a basketball question. Joe Draymond Green hit the – we had 300 questions on Draymond Green, so I had to answer the bell. Okay. okay. Uh, right now, we're in 72 countries. We hit Israel last week when we had Ryan LaBarnway on. He promised Israel he'd deliver it. He's the starting catcher on their WBC team, so he got that done for us. We're hitting grassroots baseball all the way to Major League Baseball front offices. So we're hitting from top to bottom and everywhere in between. And as Joe, you mentioned, we're just trying to build better baseball IQs out there. So this show certainly delivers every week, and I'm looking forward to it today. Yeah, yeah, so am I. And before I uh, bring Victor in, just quick introduction. Um, you know, as noted, the Rojas family means a lot to the baseball world. It means a lot to my family. Victor's dad, of course, is the great Cookie Rojas, longtime great great player and, you know, manager, coach, uh, broadcasting as well. And, you know, uh, I'm not even sure Victor knows this. I probably told him, but, but Cookie gave clinics to my son when he was like 12, 13 years old to two of his different travel teams. So, you know, and my boy is, of, of course, people that listen to the show know is a scout with Arizona and, and Cookie is part of my son's foundation, so I can only imagine what he is to to Victor. Um, and then, obviously, Victor, uh, he's done it all. He was the Angels play-by-play -play broadcaster from, I believe, 2010 to 2020. Um, previously worked at uh, MLB Network. And, uh, you know, kind of like year one there, I believe. Um, you know, stops along the way in broadcasting with Arizona Texas. And of course, I noted the, the Rangers. Um, more recently, he was the president and GM of the Frisco Rough Riders. Um, and Victor, I said, again, he's done it all. And welcome, my friend, Victor Rojas. And glad to have you with us, buddy. Gentlemen, thanks uh, for having me. If your show's goal is to raise baseball IQs, I think I'm leveling the playing field. <laughs> You guys have <laughs> seriously leveled the playing field by having me on. <laughs> no, no, you know you're being humble, my friend. But uh, yeah, quickly catch people up. I know you're back in the in the podcast, uh, and and we want to get that off the ground in a good way for you as well. What you're doing right now? Yeah, so the last six months or thereabouts have been a chance to uh, really watch my son finish out his senior year here in uh, in Texas. We uh, we live in Frisco, and he goes to Prestonwood Christian Academy, which is having a, a fantastic year. And they've got a couple of games left. So I've had uh, been very fortunate to watch him and watch every single game so far, which is something, you know, with my dad's schedule when I was growing up, uh, he couldn't do. So I'm, I'm very thankful for that. And then uh, just recently, we uh, we just launched a podcast. Uh, it's an Angels-centric podcast. Uh, there's a fan website called angelswin.com. And uh, I've known those guys a long time. And, you know, we've talked about uh, trying to do some things. And 
uh, we figured, well, let's start off with a podcast and see where it evolves. And I think uh, what we're going to end up doing, the whole the whole kind of Manning cast uh, genre that we're in now, uh, we hope to at some point to not only continue to do the podcast, but also have some special events where we do some game cast and, uh, and, and call games simultaneously while doing a show and just having fun. So, uh, you know, enjoy my time. Uh, I threw my hat in the ring for a couple of jobs this off season. Um, I thought that uh, the Braves thing was going to happen, but it didn't. And now I'm just kind of dipping my toe back into the broadcasting waters and, and having a good time doing it. Yeah. I think, um, you know, you hit on a couple of points that are very interesting because as you noted, uh, you know, you're helping build a foundation for your son, obviously. Uh, and who knows where his path will lead, whether it's playing or in some capacity in the sport. But what is it? What was it like being part of a baseball family and having, you know, Cookie as your father? And, and you know, how much did obviously meant a lot, uh, but to, to set your your baseball foundation in place to lead you in a path that's taking you into this great sport for so many years. I tell you what, it was great. Uh, you know, we had four boys in the family. I'm, I'm the third of the four boys. And growing up at Royal Stadium, essentially, was just fantastic in the 70s. It was towards the end of my dad's career. You know, I'm 55. Dad retired when I was in fifth grade in 1977. And uh, But it was, it was amazing. And the funny part about all of that is, you know, today everybody knows, you know, who is famous, right? Be it in social media or whatever the case may be. You just know who, what, what fame is. In, in the 70s, you know, I had no idea what fame was. Uh, I was very young. Dad was a baseball player. It just, it was just his job, right? That was cool that I got to go to the ballpark and shag BP with my brothers at my dad's job. Uh, but it was, uh, I'll never forget this in fifth grade, Mrs. Sheets, uh, was our teacher, homeroom teacher. And she pulled out a book and she starts reading out of this book and it's a chapter on my dad. And that's when the, the, it really, the light bulb went off. Like my dad's famous. <laughs> He's in a book. Yeah. Uh, and the name of the book is, is called, I'll never forget. It's unsung heroes. And I remember Joe Rudy was in that book as well. And I probably have okay. a copy of it somewhere around here. Um, so it, it was just, uh, it was tremendous. Uh, I, I didn't, I never felt any added pressure. Dad never put any pressure on us to play baseball or, or seek out employment in baseball. It was always about uh, go do it, you know, what makes you happy, play all the sports. Um, and growing up in Kansas, it's not like you have, well, in today's world, we've got travel ball and you're playing 365 pretty much. Um, you know, our high school season was 20 games, assuming we didn't get snowed out or rained out. Um, and, and then, you know, if you got to the playoffs, you got to the playoffs and then you went into playing Legion ball and then, then it was football season and basketball season. And then just, you know, kind of going through the, uh, the seasons, but, uh, it, it was, it was great. A lot of great experiences. Uh, once he retired, he became a coach with the Cubs. So we got to hang out at Wrigley field in the summers of 78 through 81, some really bad Chicago Cubs teams. Uh, but it was awesome. And then he, uh, hooked up with the angels in 1982 as an advanced scout. And uh, was there until he left for the Marlins job in 1993. So um, it, it, it was just amazing. It really was uh, getting a chance to share stories with him, uh, with my brothers, different experiences. I have two older brothers, both whom played uh, minor league baseball in the Oakland A's system. And, uh, and then I have a younger brother that uh, couldn't, you know, he separated his shoulder in high school, played a little bit in college. I want to say he went to Alabama, by the way. Uh, oh, there we go. Cause he did. We yeah. Briefly. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're all better off because of the, uh, the opportunities and, and, you know, the way dad presented things and, you know, dad, I mean, he's, he just, he's such a great guy. He's a great human being. And it's, Oh, by the way, he accomplished all of this. Yeah. yeah and, and all by the, all the way. Yeah. yeah. And the layers ab above that are the fact that he was a, you know, five time MLB all-star for a five foot, 10 inch, you know, 150 pounds soaking wet individual who came from Cuba, didn't speak the language, carved out a pretty good career. So he set a pretty good example for the four boys, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, your dad's an amazing guy. And, and you know, he used to, for our listeners, don't realize he would do Marlon's uh, broadcast uh, for the, uh, the Spanish language uh, version of it uh, with the SAP, where you can just you know flip the game over and and get it uh, in in Spanish. But I remember, and this is a really funny, quick story. Um, back when I was like nine years old, it was 1969. I lived in New York, and I lived in New York State in Rockland County. My dad worked in New York City, and the Mets 
we're playing a twilight doubleheader at Chase Stadium. My dad comes home, come home, comes home from work in the city, picks me up and drives into Queens, which wasn't easy. And as it turns out, we're going there. First game of a twilight doubleheader, which they used to have back then. Game one was Tom Seaver going for his 20th win. So we get there is about the seventh inning or so. Seaver wins that. Then, you know, uh, there's a game two. And I bear, I couldn't remember the team, but I remember there was a martial artist, you know, a martial artist between games that the guy, like they put a giant block of ice, like on the pitcher's mound. I was sitting like in the upper right field, you know, seats up there. Could barely see on the field. But I see this. They're putting this guy out. The, there's this gigantic block of ice. And with his head, he splits open the block of ice. So I've had this story my entire life. And then courtesy of the Internet. In the 2000s, early 2000s, there's websites that come out with box scores of games from years past. So one day I'm like, you know what? I got to, you know, I got to make sure my mind's not playing tricks on me. I got to find out who the Mets played that night. So I find out the game. I go, I see the doubleheader. Who are they playing against? I see the Philadelphia Phillies. Who's like the second batter in that game? Cookie Rojas for Philadelphia. So as it turns out, both games were played in less than two hours. You talk about the pitch clock. So that's <laughs> right. one reason why. But I go, I said, I said, Cookie, do you remember? So I see your dad and I say, Cookie, I just looked this up. I found out you were playing in this game. And I just say what I told you. Between games, I bring this martial artist out. He, they come out. They have this big suspense. He goes there. He splits open the block of ice. And Cookie, your dad goes, and a big gash opens up in his head and blood goes everywhere. <laughs> the guy like passes out and they cart him off the field and everyone's clapping. But your dad filled in the story. He's, it was, and and that's, you know, I, I'm relaying this story because it just shows the connections of baseball. Like that never would have been answered for me. And who knew that I was watching a guy that at nine years old that would be at some point giving clinics to my son. And then I'm on the, a podcast talking to his son. And it's just kind of the relationships of baseball that, you know, Dave, we always talk about that, you know, about the relationships of why we do this. And, and that is one of my memories I have. And, and your dad, you know, he filled that in perfectly for me. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's the beauty of baseball, right? Is, is that you just, you just never know. It's very cyclical. And if you hang around long enough, you're going to run into people all the time that uh, you, you met years ago and or you have a friend that knows someone that you used to know and so on. It's just it's it's amazing. My wife says I'm the I'm the Kevin Bacon of of baseball in, in our family because I, I seem to always have some sort of a connection or I know somebody who knows somebody. And that's just how intertwined this this industry is. It's it's really amazing. And now for me, it's kind of even growing into. Uh, the amateur side, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm running yeah. into guys that are running programs, uh, famous programs or big time programs at the amateur level that they played for my brother at double a in Chattanooga, you know, in the, in the Reds organization. So it's, it's really, really pretty cool. Yeah, it, it is. And we're going to get into the amateur side a little bit later into the podcast. Dave, you got anything? Yeah. Victor, you mentioned something that we really hammer on in this show and it's the the lack of multi-sport athletes nowadays because of the landscape. I was lucky enough. I'm, you mentioned age before I'm going to be 50 this week. And I had the luxury of being a two sport college athlete for four years. And I wouldn't have changed it for a minute. Um, do, do you see that landscape changing? Do we see the opportunities for kids to be multiple sports athletes, you know, in the future? And do you see the benefits of it still uh, kids going from, you know, football to baseball to basketball? What, what, what do you prefer? I like the idea of playing multiple sports. I, I think if you are able to really carve out the time, and I mean that from the standpoint of not just practice and game time, but downtime to allow the body to recover, then I think it's very good. And, and I think it all really just boils down to what the demand is, right, from these coaches, programs, and at what level. I think especially early on, you know, from 8U on up, play as many sports as possible. Uh, you know, my son obviously gravitated toward baseball at an early age. Uh, I taught him golf and then my daughter started playing tennis and she came a pretty deep, pretty good tennis player, but he would just go out to the court 
with his baseball glove on behind the tennis instructor and every ball that she would hit, he would just chase back and forth. That, that was his, that was his job is pick up the tennis balls. And then all of a sudden, because of that, he fell in love with tennis that coupled with the fact that the, the summer ball schedule that he was going through, you know, the team wasn't very good. Uh, you get these games that, you know, are 13 to nothing in the, in the second inning you get, well, fortunately for him, he played in the top half of the order. So he might get two at bats and there was a lot of downtime and he figured, you know what? Tennis is, you know, it's just me. I, I can dictate the pace. So he switched, he left, he went and played tennis and became a tennis player in middle school played varsity tennis as a freshman, wanted to play college tennis, and only because of COVID, a downtime, played some summer travel ball, you know, some tournaments here in Texas because we could play during COVID. But that fall during the World Series, he made a bet with his history teacher, who happened to be the JV baseball coach, said, who's a Dodger fan, and said, if the Dodgers win, the coach said, you come and play baseball in the spring. And if the Rays win... Tyler said, you can come out and play tennis in a, in a raised Jersey. Well, the Dodgers obviously won. And Tyler was like, Oh crap, what do I do? Uh, because he was played at the, he played number two varsity as a freshman was going to be the number one varsity players as a sophomore. And he says, I, I think I'm going to try to do both. I said, buddy, you, you can't do both. Number one, he's really young for his grade. He should be a class of 24. Uh, he's a class of 23. He's 17, doesn't turn 18 till September. So he's very young. His body hadn't matured yet. And because of tennis and throwing a baseball, I just didn't want that wear and tear on his body. I said, you're just going to have to pick one because otherwise, excuse my language, you're just going to be half-ass at two sports. And that's not going to be fair to anybody, to you or to the teams. And so he chose baseball his sophomore year, started off JV, got the varsity, finished off as a varsity starting second baseman and off and running. He's gone on the baseball side of things. But overall, I like the mentality of playing multiple sports. And one one last quick story, his previous high school, we we moved up to Frisco 30 minutes away. He was making an hour commute as a junior because we moved. He changed schools to sophomore or for a senior year. But at the old school at Liberty, there's a kid there named Brady Janicek, unbelievably talented kid who plays football, plays basketball, and plays baseball. And I saw a little bit of it last year when Tyler was a junior and still there. But I would imagine that the body at some point needs downtime and be able to recover. Because all of a sudden, you know the schedules. Once baseball season is done here in a week or two, if they don't get to the playoffs, that football schedule is going to ramp up again very soon for him. And I just think that might be detrimental to kids. Uh, So I think... Look, there's going to be one-offs all the time. You playing multiple sports, Dave, in college is that just doesn't happen often. It really doesn't. Um, and I get it if you have that mentality, you're capable of doing it. Man, I just think the rigors of college nowadays, of being a uh, you know so-called varsity athlete in college, it's a lot different than when I was there in the late '80s, early '90s. And I couldn't imagine um, trying to juggle two sports, let alone the one. And that's what I'm trying to prepare Tyler for. It's like, dude, I know you're tired. It's the end of the season, but just think come fall, you're going to a junior college to play baseball. The the grind gets a little heavier. So just start preparing the mindset. And I think that is also something that needs to be worked on with young athletes. It's the mental side, not just the physical. I think too often we put the, the onus on the physical, got to lift, got to lift, got to lift, got to lift. Uh, but you forget lifting, uh, the, the very important, you know, so-called muscle upstairs in the cranium is it's the brain, the mindset. And, um, but I, I, I enjoyed playing multiple sports. Yeah, no, I agree with you. That six inches of real estate upstairs gets talked about a lot, but we spend so much more time on the physical part. Um, you often wonder when that paradigm shift's going to happen for, for coaches well, I think, and kids. Yeah. You know what? I, and I saw it at the professional level and, and, and it's much harder at the amateur level, because, you know, just as an example, I mean, if you're, if you're unable to connect with humans and, or to talk at different levels as a coach at the amateur level, you're, you're in a lot of trouble. I mean, unless you're just passing the time and collecting the stipend and you know, whatever you're a history teacher and that's really your forte. And, but 
the game has evolved at the high school level now that it's like everything is competitive. Like you got to win, <laughs> even in baseball, you know, or tennis, you got to win because otherwise you're going to find somebody else that will. That's just, that's just how our world revolves now. So you have to have the ability to understand each of the individuals that are on your team and be able to, you know, pat them on the backside when they need it, kick them in the rump when they need it, explain things at all times. And, you know, the, on the professional side of things, you know, everybody came up with these, all, the, all these analytics and iPads, you know, about five, 10 years ago. And information is great. And telling someone that this is what you need to do and not being able to explain how to get to that point, that's where the disconnect happens. So you have to have the ability to communicate the message and dumb it down because there are some kids, especially in the professional baseball, that come from countries that they don't speak the language. So you talking about all these things on an iPad, you can just see their eyes roll back. You have to be able to water it down so that they understand it at their level. And I think that's the biggest challenge for the amateur level. If you can find those type of coaches, hang on to those guys. I agree totally. Joe, I'll pass it back to you. No, no these, these are really good points. And and we'll we'll go down that lane because you know, you know, Victor, you're to, you're talking about, you know, seeing people at the amateur level that you connected with at previous times at, at the pro level. And I had that experience last night. I'm doing, as you know, some some high school sports here for SB Live Sports. And I happen to be doing Calvary Christian Academy. That's where Andrew Painter went and among other really good players uh, to traditional power. But they've been a little bit in transition. And they were playing Archbishop McCarthy, which is only like a couple of miles from where I live. And they're playing in Fort Lauderdale, Calvary. And, I, and I'm like, I hadn't seen Calvary yet this year. They're a little bit on the rebound, but they're, they're playing pretty well. And I look at their uh, Max Prep at their coach. I see it's Wayne Rosenthal. And you remember Rosie? He was the, the Marlins pitching coach on the 2003 yep. World Series team. He's been a good friend of mine forever, but I didn't realize he was coaching there. Well, I went there and I kind of surprised him. He, he, that, but here's a guy who's his son, by the way, is a sophomore. Uh, Braden Rosenthal, who's uh, like already like six three, and the guy is like a great pitcher and can hit, and he's going to be highly sought after. But you know, just seeing guys like Rosie talking to him about you know professional opportunities compared to the high school opportunities, and we know with the rap sodos and like you say, with a lot of the the uh, the systems in place to get guys to throw to chase velocity, um, you know, it, it, there's kind of this these veteran coaches, they may not be ready to go back into pro ball because they see more value and we're hoping that it shifts a bit again, where, you know, at first you got to get your foundation back. And I think that's where part of the reason why I'm doing this podcast is to just get my voice heard still from a generation that's kind of passing, but doesn't want to see, you know, a complete disconnect in the game kind of go off the rails in its own uh, analytical direction. And, but that's to your point, you know, you got a guy like a Wayne Rosenthal and as you know, in, in Florida, I'm sure in Texas, there's a lot of former players and coach who are coaching at the, at the amateur level. There's no doubt about it. I remember dad telling me years ago, I mean, this might've been in the nineties, uh, talking about being a big league coach. He was a long time big league coach after the, after his playing career. And he said, I would rather coach younger players than guys at the major league level. And, and I asked him, what do you mean? He goes, well, at, at the major league level, for the most part, they're polished off and you get to a point where you're not really listening to instruction, if you will. And in the minor leagues, especially at the lowest levels of the minor leagues, they are still bright eyed and bushy tailed and just trying to soak everything in because they want to just be good. And I think that's yeah. why you're seeing a lot of players, I don't know, maybe maybe it's because I'm more immersed in it now, but it feels like there are more former major league players and professional players gravitating towards the amateur side of of the business, of, of the sport, because I think because of the connectivity. You know, I mentioned Tyler last year was at Liberty Christian before he transferred over to Prestonwood. Prestonwood last year, brought in James Valade. James Valade, a uh, longtime college coach, his son Ryan Valade got to the big leagues last year with the Rockies, is now in the Pirates system, an outfielder. 
mm-hmm. and he coached at uh, UT Dallas, UT Tyler, went to Oklahoma State, and then uh, for a couple of years was a scout with the Miami Marlins, and Preston Wood hired them prior to last year. Well, his pitching coach was Phil Klein, the former big league pitcher, former Texas Ranger. I mean, just imagine going to a high school. And it's like you're, you got a, your head coach is a guy with all this experience. And then, by oh, by the way, your pitching coach is Phil Klein, the former big league pitcher. Now, Phil left after last year to do what? He went to go help run an amateur program here in Texas. Um, and I just think it's because if, if, you, if you get them early enough and young enough, um, you can mold them into baseball players. I think, I, I think what's happened, especially over the last – you know, five to 10 years, this whole rush to the social media highlight clip mentality, uh, early commits and the like has really changed the game to where I could bypass this because I just, I need to go, you know, I need to go film highlights or I need to go, Hey dad, get my side swing or Hey dad, film my, uh, my, my fielding. Cause I got to put that out on Twitter and, you know, try to get a commitment because, you know, Joe Blow got a commitment. And I, I think what needs to happen, and I think it, it'll it'll eventually start to happen, is um, especially if the NCAA, as they just did last week, putting some new rules into play uh, regarding early commits. I think you're going to see more uh, a change or a shift back towards, like you guys said, the grassroots, the fundamentals of the game of baseball. I mean, there are guys I watch at the major league level that are just brutal at fundamentals. Uh, not just reads or mental mistakes. I'm just talking about just understanding cuts, relays, the rules of the game, infield fly rule. Uh, just things like that, the most basic things at the major league level that I saw as a broadcaster for 18 years. I'm like, how? and managers not knowing rules or not understanding them or interpreting, interpreting them incorrectly. Um, and I think that's where my focus is probably going to, start shifting towards, uh, I, I'm a real Joe, you know me, I'm, I'm a realist. I'm, I'm a no BS guy. There's no gray area with me. You always know where I'm standing. Pretty much. I'm pretty much my, my father's son, right? I mean, dad's got a little more tact than I do. <laughs> uh, but you always kind of know where I stand. And I, and I think, you know, that's why I've always believed in sharing the information with my son, uh, and my daughter when she was playing tennis of not just propping them up all the time. I think you have to knock kids down a little bit, uh, knock them down a peg and, and, and give them a reality check. You know, you, you really thought that was a good at bat. Tell me why you thought it was a good at bat and have a conversation with them yeah. because you can't, you can't impose what you think needs to happen on a kid unless they understand what it is they themselves were doing at that moment and what they need to do to get better the next time. Because otherwise, again, it's like that example I said of just giving information to a kid who doesn't speak your language. The eyes just roll back, right? It never gets absorbed. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're just talking to a wall. So I think I think you're going to see more and more of that shift. And I think that's the goal for a lot of these former players that just, just want to get to the basic game of baseball and teaching the sport properly. And I think that's that's kind of the uh, the avenue that I'm leaning towards for sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no doubt. And that's why, you know, we're we're doing these type of podcasts and having these type of discussions. And you, and you hit on a lot of points there, uh, Victor, about, you know, I, and you hear it too, you go to the game and, and everyone, the parents, they want their kid to get on base, obviously. And if they're struck out looking, what is it, like 99% of the time you hear if a kid strikes out looking, it's like umpire, oh, that was a ball. How do you call the strike? You know, there's, there's just this, or the kid's out by a foot at first base. Oh, he was safe. You know, when, you know, I was big on telling my son when he was playing, to be honest, like if he was out by a half a foot, you know, I'd say, hey, you, to me, you looked out by half a foot, you know, and then he got to where he was pretty honest about it. He could say like one time or two, more than one time, I'd say, hey, I thought you might have beat that. He goes, no, nah, I was out. You know, it was like, but he knew. And but there are a lot of other kids they would be out by two feet and their parents would be yelling, save, save. So what does that kid think? The kid thinks he bats a thousand and the umpires screw him when he gets out 70 percent of the time. You know, so that that hurts his mental, you know, adjusting and adapting to the sport. If you don't accept that there's failure and that you were out by a half a step or out by a step or that pitch was a strike, not ball four. Yeah, you know, the old adage, right? Truth, <laughs> truth sucks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it really does. And, you know, the, the whole umpire thing is what it is. 
because, uh, you know, it's just this the state of where we're in right now. It, it, it's a hard, it's a hard job to be an umpire. Um, I, I've yet to see a, a perfect grade uh, for umpiring, and you know, it's sometimes guys miss it, and the good ones will usually admit it. You know, that's how you diffuse most situations. Is when a coach calls timeout, they walk over there, they're heated. And you you see him walk away with just shaking his head, but you know, calm down. It's more likely that you know, hey, I missed it, and I think you're better off doing that as an umpire <laughs> uh, than than really just flaming the fire. But you know, to your point about talking to your kids about things, um, especially as it relates to the umpire, and I'll give you a perfect example. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Tyler was at the plate. Uh, Bases loaded, two outs in the top of the seventh. We were on the road, down by a run. The game started a half hour late, so it's about 10.20 at night. He works the count and does a great job, spoils one pitch that I don't know how he spoiled it, but fouled it off. 3-2 count, and he gets rung up on a pitch that appeared, you know, from my angle, appeared down and in a little bit. Uh, But, you know, hey, two strikes, you got to swing it. And he was chapped. He goes, that was ball four. It should have been a tie game. I was like, I said, buddy, take a step back for a second, okay? I agree. For me, anything close with two strikes, especially at the high school level, you got to swing. I mean, unless it's in the other's batter's box. I And my my son has a pretty decent eye. He walks a lot. He he, he works counts. He's deep count guy. And I said, I said, I get that. I said, but two strikes, never let the umpire dictate your, your plate appearance. I said, moreover, it's 1030 at night. You're the visiting team. <laughs> the coaches have already been on the umpires on a couple of missed calls. You really think that those two guys want to extend this game to the bottom of the seventh inning? Absolutely not. Anything close, they're going to bring you up. I said, but so now you know. It's, it's, it's a learning phase. And so he didn't like it, but that's just reality. And so, you know, when you're in the moment, you, you – you're just you're just immersed in the situation, but when you take that thirty thousand foot view, you're sitting there going, "Well, okay, I see what you mean, and I understand it." And that's what I like to do. I like to impart not only to to my son. I, I the other day, I have a kid who played summer ball with Tyler last summer, who, who's at the same school. Pitcher came into a game. Uh, this team has only lost three times. That game that Tyler struck out was this, the first loss, uh, and last week they had their su- third loss. This kid was on the mound and he throws a pitch with two outs. Uh, the team is down. We're down one run. It's a line drive to right field. I mean, and it's really one of those liners off a right-handed bat and the left fielder, the right fielder comes charging in, stops. And it's one of those, ah, crap. And it's over his head. Another run score. So we're now we're down two. Ryan, the pitcher looks at him and says, you know, puts his hand up. Hey, Hey, puts his hands up and then put taps his chest. Like I got this. Don't worry about it. And then the third out is recorded. Ryan comes off the field, the pitcher over by third base. And he's waiting for Louie, the right fielder to come in. And as soon as he comes in, he puts his arm around him and walks him back to the dugout. Basically to say, Hey man, don't worry about that. That's, you know, it's, it's gone. It's being a good teammate. I texted him yesterday about that. And I said, I just want you to know that I saw that. And that is what will take you to the next level because you are left-handed and you have ability is one thing, but coaches, recruiters, scouts all want to know what type of kid you are. And in that moment, I saw both things that you did. That's, that was a big league move. And I just wanted you to know that I, I saw it and I appreciated it. And I, and it, and it wasn't for any other reason to just so that they understand the good and the bad. Um, and I, and I, and I like talking baseball and I've, I've communicated with a lot of kids, uh, via social media that that send me DMS, uh, or I talk to them at ballparks. Uh, I've got one kid who is going to Baylor next year. I've Tyler never played with them. I just, we were trying to get him on our team. So I connected with him, and, you know, he shot me a schedule. Hey, if you're ever down here, come watch me pitch. And we, we still stay in contact just because I, I, I'm, I'm just real, right. I'm I'm not gonna, I'm not sitting there to to stroke their ego. I just, I want them to get better and to have a sounding board that is going to be unbiased. And, and that's, that's what I'm trying to do. 
Yeah, because we're trying to build a generation of baseball players. And, yeah. and to your point there about observation, we've had plenty of scouts on this show, and we talk about how, especially the amateur players, how they're being looked at, even you know, especially the really good ones. But you're you're okay. So you, as you know, you could go play a four o'clock game, and there's like twenty parents there, and your team just drove forty miles to to play in this in this park. And there was one kid, and I talked to the kid after this game because I like him; he's on a pretty good team. Uh, and he's up there. Game's just starting. It's actually from North Broward Prep. They're like a defending state champ, and they're they're playing, and um, it's like really dead in the dugout. Like he's like the second batter, and he's like taking his swings in the, in the on deck circle. He's limbering up, looking, and he goes, "Hey guys, let's get let's get the dugout going." And then sudden some guys are chirping up and they're bringing a little bit of energy to the game. And, and that team won. And afterward I mentioned, he goes, I said, are you a vocal leader on this team? He goes, and he goes, I talk when I have to, but I felt that was a moment. Like, you know, this guy is like trying to get his team going and he wants his bench to get going as well. And I just saw that as a leadership quality and a, and a baseball player quality. And I, and I noted it to the kid. Yeah. No, and that's, that's awesome. And, 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 you know, and maybe they weren't anticipating that, but I guarantee you that he went away later on. It's like, yeah, it was kind of cool that he said that to me. You know what I mean? Because it's like, you're noticed the, the little things. Yes. Um, yeah. I'm going to tell you one, one quick story about this whole perception thing and uh, just being your true self, especially out on the ball field. When, so Tyler played that sophomore year for the first time, he was going into the summer and I said, dude, since it was your first time playing baseball a long time, why don't you take the summer off and then we'll ramp it back up for the fall? And then he says, yeah, that sounds great. And I was looking at some camps, maybe just to get some work in. Uh, and I had never, mind you, I was in tennis. My daughter was in tennis. So I just figured out the UTR and USTA stuff. Uh, and all of a sudden he says, you know, a lot of guys are playing summer ball. I said, well, let me, I literally pulled up Google and, and, and just typed in travel ball near me. That's how I found a travel. That's how I got involved in the travel ball world. I had no idea. I mean, I've heard of it, of perfect game and all those other ones, but I had no idea what this thing was. No idea whatsoever. So Tyler hooks up with this one team, pretty talented team. They go to Hoover, Alabama to play in a tournament for perfect game. Pretty big tournament in Hoover, especially as a 16 yeah, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good venue too, right? Yeah, it's, it's a, a really great, nice awesome venue. venue. Gosh, yeah. that was awesome. Yeah. Um, and I go there on day one. They're playing in right at the middle of the field there, middle of the, of the quad. And, you know, you could tell all the recruiters are there, right? Because they've, they've got their shirts and hats and backpacks on. Alabama, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, Oklahoma. I mean, they're all there. You just see them. And Tyler's first time, you know, his eyes are wide. I'm like, what is going on? This is he's out of his mind. He was scared stiff because he had never been in that situation before. He had no idea what he was walking into. And I remember telling him, and I've shared this story with others. I said, listen, uh, those are the recruiters and you'll see them bounce from field to field, right? Depending on who's playing, who's pitching, who's at bat, you know, the top 1%, that's what they're basically there to see. That's what those guys are there to see the top 1%. So you always know when they're there, if they're on your field or they're not. I said, Always remember this from the minute you get out of your car, just assume that you are in a fishbowl. Assume that someone is watching you put your cleats on, walk from the car down to the field, how you interact with your teammates waiting for your game. The minute you step onto the field, how you play catch, how you warm up, how you take infield. And then, oh, by the way, the game takes care of itself. I guarantee you there's somebody watching. So because of all of these scouts are down here, those aren't the ones you should worry about. The guys you should be worried about are the guys that are sitting up in a parking lot, sitting in the car, just watching the game, taking it in, watching from afar. They want to see how you really are. Not, not your Twitter, uh, you know, your Twitter ego or your, your Instagram posts. They want to see how you really are with your teammates. And they'll ask people about them. And, and I, and he's always remembered that. And so I, he's always tried to play the game. He hustles in, hustles out. I say, Hey, listen, you have a crappy at bat. You got to flush it away. Cause you, you're, you're, you got to worry about defense because you're going to play shortstop or third base. And even if you play second base important positions, you got to focus on defense. And I'm telling you what, it's a, it's been amazing to watch. And I'm thankful that maybe he got my, my dad's genes in that regard, uh, because at bats used to just eat me up all the time. 
he flushes stuff away and doesn't let anything happen. And he hustles right back in, makes a bad play. No big deal. Picks up and goes on to the next thing. And I think those are the, it's those little things that matter in the long run. I think those are the little things that, that, that they're going to take away from the game. Like I'm a better person because of it. And they can apply it. And I'm just in baseball in real, in the real world. You know what I mean? They're just going to take that and in college and their studies and, and, whatever profession he decides to to choose. Yeah, we could talk these topics all day, and I know we're going to get pressed for time. We've got about 10 more minutes, and there are a couple other things I want to get into. Uh, Victor, what do you think the role of, of broadcast media, you know, game coverage stuff should have in, in selling and packaging of the game? Where is it right now? And to me, it's very StatCast heavy, and I'm a big fan of StatCast, but it's almost like become a crutch to me in time of trying to explain the game. How do you kind of see it? I think it's it's something that's been uh, kind of forced into broadcast over the last 10 years uh, because they, you know, there's a lot of people sitting in ivory towers that have never put a headset on or ever broadcasted a game or produced a game that think that they know what it takes to produce a game, <laughs> to, to put out a finished product. Um, and I think they continue to try to reinvent the wheel. The game should be, you know, paramount. I mean, first and foremost, it's the game that's happening on the field. I, if you have certain information that you want to get in, then great. The problem is, is that the way, at least how it was working towards the end of my career, especially with the Angels uh, before I left, uh, they pre-produce certain things. So they want to get those pre-produced items into games. Um, and so you're kind of forced into, if the situation never happens, to kind of talk about all these things, whether they're stat cast related or otherwise. Um, I, personally speaking, exit velo, who cares? Uh, seriously, I mean, unless someone touches 115 and it's cool, all right. But at the end of the day, like I'm, oh, every hard hit ball is 95 miles per hour or, or higher. I mean, okay, we got it. You know, big deal. Uh, if someone hits a monster home run, okay, once in a while, that's that's cool. Uh, but all the other stuff, I don't know. Um, it's just, it's gimmicky. Um, I think it's cover for guys that don't know how to talk about the game. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that just, again, that's just my, my personal opinion on it. I, broadcasting a baseball the purest broadcasting of baseball is on radio always will be uh, painting, painting a picture for the mind's eye is the sweetest thing in the world. And to this day I could be sitting in my car driving somewhere and I'd rather listen to a baseball game on radio, assuming it's someone that's good that knows how to, to, to describe the game of baseball on radio. Uh, I'd love listening to it on, on radio TV. You know, I just, and I'm sure a lot of people punched out on my broadcast. I mean, that's cool. I mean, it's a subjective industry. Uh, but uh, TV, I'm, I'm very particular as to who I listen to or who I like to listen to. And it usually goes with not just one individual, but like the chemistry, the conversation of of, of broadcast. Yeah. And I want to do uh, for our listeners, too, because you were around the Otani and Trout. You know, what what can you relate to uh, to our audience about? what those guys mean to the game. And obviously Otani is like different level right now. He's probably the, not just the best in the world right now, but when are we going to see anything, you know, remotely like this again? I don't, I don't know. We will. I mean, uh, I was fortunate that, you know, for, for a little bit of time there I had pool holes, uh, trout and Otani on the same team. And, you know, you've got a, you know, a hall of famer of hall of famer to be, and, you know, a unicorn that could potentially be a hall of famer. I mean, that's just, just ridiculous. And being around those guys was, was amazing. Um, especially early on with trout and pools, those guys are two peas in a pod. I mean, they spent a lot of time together, uh, at the cage at the T. I mean, one guy would sit on the bucket while the other one hit and then they'd switch and they'd sit there and just talk, uh, baseball hitting. Uh, it was nonstop. And I think that helped Mike quite a bit and, you know, help him grow as a player, as a, as a person, as a teammate. And then Shohei shows up, and you know you're like okay this is this is interesting um can he sustain it and i think he's getting stronger and better that's that's how crazy it is uh, i remember his first year he, you know he hurt his arm that's he ended up having to the surgery we were in texas and he came out of the game and they had the mri i think the i think the word came down at that point we were in texas and that he had some sort of a the the issue with the elbow and he was dhing and he hit a bomb I mean, it's like, what can't this guy do? 
Um, it, yeah, he's he is, and he's a he's the salt of the earth. He's a sweet kid, very funny, uh, strong as an ox. I think he is more motivated than ever before to prove everybody wrong, and not not that you know this whole Babe Ruth thing and all that. I don't think it's that. I think he's just. I, I've never seen a guy, you know, you you worry about imports sometimes, uh, whether they come from Latin America or from Japan uh, or, or Korea, that they have too much pressure on themselves trying to do something that, you know, maybe try to play outside their uh, their lane. Uh, you know, Shohei Otani, Ichiro was a great player. Mats- Matsui was a great player. Uh, a lot of great players, right? Uh, I don't know that any one particular player has ever had as much so-called pressure or weight on their shoulders coming to a new country as a player like Shohei Otani, based on what the what is going to happen factor, a two-way player. And that dude has just absolutely killed it. And it's like no sweat. It's like, what can't I do uh, mentality? And uh, it was fun watching him at the WBC. And I think he's just going to continue to carry it over. Um, My question is, how long can he live at the highest of levels doing both things? At some point, yep. one or the other is going to regress. And I, you know, that's the gamble, right? When he becomes a free agent, if he becomes a free agent, you know, when you're rolling that dice and paying that money, you know, how are you going to pay that? When do you think that regression is going to begin? Yeah, because it seems right now his his floor is he becomes the best closer in the game instead of the best starter and hitter in the game. That worked out for John Smoltz pretty well. Yeah. it's like but doesn't that seem like that would be it okay i just yeah 101 for one inning yeah i just gotta yeah yeah, dh and and close you out in the ninth that's what i did it's like little league (laughs) oh you need me to close it out you got it i got it yeah and maybe he doesn't go back to back days doing it but he certainly will do a lot and get 50 saves you know yeah exactly yeah we're getting towards the end dave any last things as we before we get out of here yeah, I mean, Victor, great information for, I mean, we talk grassroots all the way to front offices, and I think great landscape of the game. Former players always have a hard time talking about themselves. What, what kind of player were you? What's the scouting report on Victor Rojas? Um, I wasn't very smart. Um, I, 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 I don't believe that. I, yeah, well, I, I wish they were true. I was a, I was a position player who could pitch in college. I had a really good arm. And I taught myself how to switch hit when my dad was managing the Angels. This, that summer, I taught myself how to hit left-handed. Uh, went into my sophomore year at a junior college in California, and I hit 16 home runs, the majority of which were left-handed because you face so much right-handed pitching. And then I went to Lewis Clark State up in Idaho. I got sick. I dropped out. I signed with the Angels, and Billy Bavese asked me, what do you want to do? Do you want to, do you want to play a position? Do you want to pitch? I said, I'll pitch. I'll, I'll, be, a, I'll be a closer. Cause I figured I was just smart enough to be a closer, just throw hard. You know, um, I, I think I had the ability to get further in my career than I actually did, but my mindset, uh, it, it just, it, they did, it weren't synced up at that time. Um, I have no regrets, um, because I mean, life is, you can easily have life full of regrets, but I had a great opportunity. I had fun. I enjoyed my time. Um, uh, I don't think I quote unquote pissed away my career, but I think had I really applied myself, like today's kids are like so focused on it, hyper focused on it. I think I, I personally believe I could have gotten to the big leagues. My dad says the exact same thing. Do you, if you go back in time, would you have uh, selected being a position player over a pitcher or stay the same way? What, what position did you play? Uh, I was kind of that guy that was uh, corners and then I played some, I caught as well. So it's like, I wasn't a very fast guy, but then I got, <laughs> I'm telling you, you get older, you get wiser. Then I became a runner and like my speed increased. So like, it's like, I was actually, I'm actually a pretty quick guy now, you know? Um, I don't know. I really loved hitting, but I also love just shoving at the end of a game. That just, that really, I love the adrenaline rush of coming in um, and, and, and just closing down a game. That, that was fun. So I think probably closing. Nice. Although that's hitting a, bombs a, was cool. <laughs> I wish I could relate to that part. Really. <laughs> uh, this is a this is really good stuff, but our time has run short. Um, Victor, tell people once again how to catch you on the podcast. 
Well, it's uh, the Angels Win podcast, and uh, like you guys, we're on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, and uh, we've had one episode. We just put that out this week, and uh, we're going to do one weekly, and it'll be, like I said, Angels-centric, but uh, we'll touch on uh, some other things uh, you know, around the game of baseball as well. Yeah, this is this is fun stuff. Again, my friend, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we hope to have you back at some point if you're if you're free. So, um, uh, Dave, any last thing, last announcement? Yeah, just a, a thank you again to our sixteen thousand plus subscribers. Download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. That allows to get us over the analytics hump of the podcast world, and then we'll be able to keep providing you great content every week with all of our shows. Six shows now on the network and climbing. We're going to add a seventh next week, I believe. Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever your streaming device is, let me know. I'll add it to our list, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Hit me up on all of them. I uh, got one out this morning again live. I've got 300 questions to answer privately, so I can get back to everybody over the course of the day. We're touching on 72 countries now, Joe. I'm trying to figure out if there's another one we need to add. So anybody got <laughs> ideas, let me know. I um, joke, Dave, that uh, you're in two pal- – how many planets? Are we on two yet or three? Yeah, we have, yeah. we're only on Earth right now. We're but, only on Earth, but we're yeah, working on it. We're working on stuff. <laughs> right? but, you know, all these grassroots, the major league front offices, we're getting play everywhere, and we love it. Um, as long as we keep touching people and building better baseball IQs, we'll keep rolling with this. So thank you, Joe. I appreciate what you're doing. Victor, thanks so much for joining us today. No, it's my absolute pleasure, guys. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, once again, our thanks, Victor Rojas. Check out his podcast. Check out his work and uh, and listen to the advice, especially for those parents and those kids that are listening that aspire to do this game. And um, once again, thanks to Dave D'Agostino, who does an amazing job. He, he wears so many hats on this on this uh, network, and um, and we just we're enjoying doing this. You know, the season's starting to heat up. We're a few weeks into the big league season, and. And there's a lot, a lot of content. We're going to keep pushing it out there for everyone. And until next time, I'm Joe Forsaro, Man on Second, and we are out of here.